Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Kissing. How weird is it that we just mash our faces together instead of using our words? Let's dim the lights and get frisky. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by the Time Variance Authority. For resolving all of your multiverse paradoxes, place your trust in the TVA. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is a podcast, of course, where we discuss and analyze films from the perspective of filmmakers ourselves. We, we like to make things. We're trying to make bigger things. Maybe someday we'll pestle one of our own films um, or not. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? That's up for the, uh, the TVA to, to determine. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, right. You've not been watching Loki? I haven't, I have not until last night. I watched the first episode. Ah, uh, nice, nice. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to cover in today's episode. Uh, so what are we going to do today? Today we are covering uh, Meet Joe Black. So if you haven't watched that film, please pause this episode and go watch it. You can run it on YouTube and all the places um, and then come back because we're going to spoil a lot. A lot. We'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bunch of things. We'll discuss some of the one of the ways they establish characters. We'll talk about the pacing and how it can reveal uh, character depth. Um, we'll touch a little bit on cinematography, the shadow of death, Bill's one candle wish and other such stuff and things and stuff. And the quick synopsis of the film, death who takes the form of a young man asks a media mogul to act as his guide to teach him about life on earth. And in the process, he falls in love with his guide's daughter directed by Martin Brest written by Ron Osborne, Jeff Reno, Kevin Wade, and Bo Goldman. Uh, cinematography by Emmanuel Lubezki. And starring Anthony Hopkins as William Parrish, Brad Pitt as Joe Black, Claire Forlani as Susan, Jake Weber as Drew, Marcia Gay Harden as Allison, and Jeffrey Tambor as Quince. Do you love Drew? Do you love Drew? You mean like you loved mom? Forget about me and mom. Are you gonna marry him? Probably. Listen, I'm crazy about the guy. He's smart, he's aggressive, he could carry parish communications into the 21st century and be along with it. Mm-hmm. So what's wrong with that? That's for me, I'm talking about you. It's not what you say about Drew, it's what you don't say. Maybe you're not listening. Oh, yes, I am. There's not an ounce of excitement, not a whisper of a thrill. This relationship is all the passion of a pair of titmice. I want you to get swept away. I want you to levitate. I want you to sing with rapture and dance like a dervish. Oh, that's all? Yeah, be deliriously happier. At least leave yourself open to me. Okay. Be deliriously happy. I shall, uh, I shall do my utmost. <laughs> I know it's a cornball thing. But love is passion. Obsession. Someone you can't live without. I say, Fall head over heels. Find someone you can love like crazy and who'll love you the same way back. How'd you find him? Well, 
You forget your head and you listen to your heart. I'm not hearing any heart. Because the truth is, honey, there's no sense living your life without this. To make the journey and not fall deeply in love. Well, you haven't lived a life at all. But you have to try. Because if you haven't tried, you haven't lived. Bravo. Oh, you're tough. <sighs> I'm sorry. Okay. Give it to me again, but the short version this time. Okay. Stay open. Who knows? Lightning could strike. So, I mean, my God, I, the music alone <laughs> could yeah. just knock it's you amazing. down. Um, yeah. Yeah. What'd you think, man? I don't, I assume you saw this at some point in, in the past, maybe once or twice, um, but it's a three hour mm-hmm. runtime. So I'm not sure it's the kind of movie that people would just queue up at a whim. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't know. What is, is this yeah. something that works for you uh, in terms of? three hours of sitting and watching this thing yeah it was it was it didn't feel like three hours uh i mean towards the end it did it felt like man okay when is this not when is this going to end but when and it might have been because i'd seen it before so i knew what happened it was just it kind of was like okay when are they going to walk off like when are they going to walk off together he's just saying goodbye for a very long time but it really hits i mean you know i i was really able to put myself in anthony hopkins shoes of like how would i say goodbye to my children if i knew i was i was dying um it just you know he's incredible he's <laughs> so 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 amazing in this film brad pitt is incredible in this film i mean to be able to to play that role that way because there's there's also there's so many nuances to whatever you know way you're going to play death right like there's no reason for death to really get angry mm. and he really doesn't there's sometimes he gets a little short or annoyed he gets annoyed right but you know death always wins so he doesn't need to get angry right and so he never he never really like he doesn't yell you know, he doesn't like act out, I guess, the way that a normal human being would. It's just very practical. It's very like matter of fact, like this is this is what's happening. You know, I did have issues with it, um, but I think oh, I think overall the film was amazing. The acting was incredible. I love the premise. The premise is really cool. And um, the casting is fantastic. I love Quince. You can't help but love Quince. And it's so great. You know, towards the end, when uh, when Joe tells Quince he's one of his favorites, yeah. it's it kind of it kind of makes me fe- feel validated because I thought I thought Quince was one of my favorites too, and to hear that Death love Quince loves Quince is pretty cool, you know. <laughs> uh, um, and he has he that that Death is is it shows an interesting progression of Death becoming a little bit more human in a way, you know, in just some way. Uh, I loved the integration of the Jamaican woman where we actually see death do some something supernatural, right? We see Joe do something supernatural. Otherwise, I mean, I don't I don't really know. I think we might have talked about this. I don't really know of any other moments where I I see him be death. You know, I see him be something other than Joe, you know, 
because most of the time I'm, I'm seeing Brad Pitt. I'm, you know, you're not seeing Brad Pitt's character at the beginning. And that's part of the brilliance of his acting, right? Uh -huh. He, he's just this, um, you know, like amazingly lovable guy at the beginning. And then that's completely gone when you see him in the library, um, with Anthony Hopkins later on, uh, the way that they did his death scene is un unbelievable. I'm going to let you speak to that. And cause I know that you have some things that you want to cover about that. And, oh yeah. The, and so the, and the, the casting, right. So Claire Forlani is just amazing as well. Like she, she has this way of doing these really subtle facial things that tell you a lot. You know, I, I think that there were some moments where it felt little, the acting felt a little dated to me with her, just, just a, like a, a moment here or there. But for the most part, it was for 99.9% .9 of the time I was like in it with her. And she's just amazing at being able to say so much by not saying anything, just, you know, a raise of an eyebrow or a blink and it tells you everything that you need to know uh, about that moment. And uh, yeah, Anthony Hopkins is perfect in this role. I, I, I couldn't have picked anyone better because there's something, there's something really mysterious about him. I mean, you know, we know him at, you know, from Silence of the Lambs and, you know, he has this like crazy side, you know, to him. Um, and I don't think that that ever leaves. Right. I think that there's just, there's something about every role that he's in where there's a little bit of Hannibal Lecter in it. Um, uh, I just can't, I can't see his face and not see Hannibal Lecter, but, but there's this, this little air of not malice, not like just difference. I, I don't have any other word for it. Just there's this little bit of difference in him that makes him perfect for this particular role, right? He's not just some aging old white guy um, who's about to die. He's, it's different. You know, I think it's, you know, let's put somebody else in that, in that scenario, put like, like Harrison Ford in that scenario, right? Not right. Not right. You know, we'll call them the same age. Uh, they're probably not, but we'll call them the same age. Right. And I don't think that, and it's not even about the acting. It's about the lack of acting. It's this, this like look that, the, that he has where he's peeling you apart, whatever he's looking at, he's assessing it. He's like analyzing mm -hmm. it. He's it's, it's all that he sees. There is nothing else. And for, for him to be able to do that feels very like uh, invasive much more so than, you know, someone like Harrison Ford or Liam Neeson, or I don't know, I can't think of any, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, no, I can't think I'm terrible with names, but, uh, uh, there will be blood. What's his name? Oh, Daniel Day Lewis. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Daniel Day Lewis in some ways, like when in, in some roles, right. Where he just is so into that thing, not violent, not like, not necessarily violent, but just so pointed at one specific thing that you just can't help but but be torn apart by it right so yes it was a great movie it felt, didn't feel like three full hours it felt i mean it felt long but it didn't feel like three hours i would say it felt like you know a good solid two and a half right and i and that's that's doable 215 i feel like it moved pretty well you know yeah i mean i think i think that's you raise a couple of really good points in terms of for one there is something Anthony Hopkins just carries with them. And that goes right to the importance of casting, right? Like there's a lot of people who could have performed that role incredibly well, but sometimes it doesn't always go to maybe the best performer. Sometimes you have to take in these other characteristics that are just, you know, a part of someone's being and 
Anthony Hopkins, without saying a word, like you said, I mean, he carries like this, uh, this dignity and the stature and the strength and poise and he's stoic. Uh, and yeah, there's a weight to him no matter what he's doing. And it's a physical thing. And as much as, as it is his performance and, you know, the way that he shifts, he, he doesn't, even whenever he's kind of just moving around, it feels pointed. Like he doesn't meander like the rest of us meander. Like he, he meanders with intention. It's so, it's such an interesting uh, physicality to him that uh, there's a reason why you cast him in roles. And I'm sure he could play a thousand other things, you know, physically, but uh, those things that he just carries with him uh, is so important. And same thing with, you know, what you were saying about like, this, it's a three hour movie that doesn't feel like it. And I think a lot of that does have to do with the pacing, right? Because we don't, spend that much time over that many things like we spend a lot of time in a few things uh and because of that and the, the way they they layer these sequences like whenever joe black arrives after you know uh, he's have he's at the dinner party right and he, we spend over 20 minutes just on his arrival at the dinner party that night and another film 20 minutes could be broken up into 10 different sequences like we're going to go here, we're going to go there and we're just going to pop all around and we're going to advance the plot, you know, a lot over the course of 20 minutes in a normal movie. But with a three hour runtime, they're like, no, we're going to really spend a lot of time with him just meeting the family, exploring the mansion, reestablishing his uh, Brad Pitt and Claire Forlani together because the first time we meet them, uh, they're two different people. And then when we they, we meet them again. He's now a different person. And so we kind of reestablish and they spend so much time just on uh, Joe Black arriving at the mansion. And it's almost an hour of just him uh, having his character arrive and become established in and of itself. So the first third of the movie is the arrival, the full arrival of Joe Black. And then we still have two more hours to see where that goes from there. And a lot of the conflict is because of the way the pacing goes, I think a lot of the conflict is told through social norms, right? Like sarcasm, tepid frustration, right? With uh, especially with like Drew. And I think it's just so interesting because the, the pacing helps us imagine everyone's inner lives and what they're thinking and feeling. And so allowing so much to happen between the lines, I feel like they probably spent an hour just of people not talking of us just observing humanity and what i like about that is these are social signals that are lost on joe right like he doesn't know what's going on between the lines he's just being where everyone else is just kind of observing what is going on right now and how do i feel about this and how do i interpret what joe just said uh there's a lot you know even with other characters that's just happening between the lines and to some degree, it's either going to frustrate a character or maybe amuse them. And so the people around Joe are reacting in this pacing. And, and with that, it could come off as annoying or, or charming. He's, he's kind of a breath of fresh air, right? In a world filled with indirect communication where people don't want to say what they feel and what they mean. Joe does. Joe says exactly how he feels. And so how people react reveals a lot about who they are, right? Drew is short and he's very quick with his responses like he doesn't waste a lot of time he's coming right back at joe whereas uh like susan she's bewildered and charmed and she's just slowly reacting and trying to give him space 
and trying not to say the first thing that she thinks or feels like she's just kind of digesting him as most of the people are quince like you were saying man i love quince so much and his reaction to joe is such a good contrast to andrew's reaction because as he unfolds the, the the film unfolds maybe around the halfway point quince just kind of tells joe uh, he's going after uh, bill has rejected uh, the the merger quince catches up with them and they're on the couch and uh, he's like hey bill how would you feel if i threw out some other merger ideas i've been cooking on some things you know if you would just trust me a little bit uh and and bill's like well it kind of depends on joe and he's like Ugh. Joe, I can't tell you how relieved I am to have you on board. Like you're taking weight off the old man. This is, he doesn't feel threatened. He's encouraged. And yeah. that's such yeah. a big difference, right? And I think they're just kind of revealing that through the pacing and, and allowing people to react to, to Joe's presence. And overall, I mean, they just allow a lot of space and, and patient performances and just letting these moments just slowly evolve. You know, we, we do the exact opposite of what we usually say, which is normally you want to enter the scene as late as humanly possible and get out as fast as possible. And here we're going to enter as early as possible and leave as late as possible. It's such a, a crazy contradiction um, that just plays because, you know, as, as we're saying, like it, they, they cast such an extraordinary group of people to that, like, man, I think you're so right. Claire Forlani does so much in her face. And I love the way as we watch her, she just searches, she's searching Joe for answers and and scrutinizing him but in this kind of loving and and charmed way and and in an accepting way like she gives something to joe it's not like she's just this uh, this trophy she's giving something to joe that joe needs as well and they're doing something for each other in that process because she doesn't know what love is yet and and in being introduced to joe She's finding it. She's searching for it and she's finding it in Joe. And and Joe is also, you know, reciprocating. He's finding it in her as she's kind of teaching him what it means to love in the same way that she's trying to learn from her father. Like, what is love? What does it mean? Uh, she's not. And the beautiful thing is she she's she's learning against her will. <laughs> like her dad is trying to say, mm -hmm. hey, you don't have it yet. I'm trying to tell you. And that's why I think that clip is so important because it's the, the thesis of the film in a lot of ways, I think. Um, is the meaning of life, right? Is is love, and is to to find it and and to allow it uh, to to happen as much as you're looking for it, you're allowing it to to win you over. Yeah, I don't know. What did you think about the daughter, the other daughter, Allison? She's a uh, an interesting, odd character in in light of, especially in light of uh, Susan. Um, these are very two different things. And, and I'm even more as curious as I am about Allison and what you think about her. I'm also curious about her statement at the end about <laughs> you're allowed a favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, she was, she was the, the, she was the son who stayed home. She in the prodigal son situation. Mm -hmm. She was just always there, always, you know, ready to help and wanted to do what she, what she could for her father. Cause she loved him. And, and yeah, I, I thought she was amazing. Did you feel frustrated <laughs> for her at all? Like, cause you saw the way she was just really trying to, I don't know when is approval. I mean, yes and no, because I mean, she's, she's probably had this her whole life, right? Mm -hmm. This is not new you know, situation where she's done a lot of work and gotten very little, if any recognition. 
I I did feel for her not uh, I didn't feel for her until the end when when that line came up when she said you're allowed a favorite and and it had always been that way and then I felt for her. I was like oh man it had to be a really tough childhood you know because it's one thing to be older and be able to accept something like that but you know to grow up that way to know that your your little sister is the favorite and and she gets most of the attention and the love and and you don't like that's got to be hard for you know a 12 year old or a 15 year old uh so at that point i did feel bad for her and but i i, I think she also probably is one of those people that that gets her she gets the most, not from the recognition, but from the doing, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously it's good to have recognition, but when you grow up your whole life and you don't have any, right, then you just become okay with not getting it. And so you just do the things because you love the person anyway, um, just because you want to do them. So like, like, for example, you know, her with the, uh, the cake scenario, when she just wanted him to try the fucking cake and he wouldn't, try the cake. Yeah. Come on, asshole. Try the cake (laughs) for me or for, for most people, Mm. what happened in that scenario would not have been enough. Right. What happened in that scenario was, was he said, okay. And he tried the cake and he's like this one, you know, okay. There's a hundred thousand other decisions and you just did that because I'm crying right? You didn't do that because you really wanted to, or you really cared about anything that I'm fucking doing. So most cases that would not have been enough for me. That would not have been enough. Uh, But for her, it was, which tells Mm -hmm. me that it's her, it's the deed for her. Uh, So she's, she's wonderful. She's the best daughter, you know, like, yes, Claire's character, or I forget it. Susan, uh, um, Susan, sorry. Uh, Susan is beautiful. She's smart because she's a doctor. She's caring. She's selfless, which (laughs) makes it, uh, I guess. That's a great lineup. (laughs) What? Yeah, that's that's a great great lineup. lineup. (laughs) Which which makes it easy for her to, on the surface, be someone's favorite. Mm. But not um, after you are, have spent a lot of time with them and, you know, like, and just know what they're about. And, and so for someone, for someone like Susan, it's, it's it's easy to be, it's easy to be the favorite, but I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I loved her character and I thought that she played it really well. And I thought that, that, uh, what was it? Allison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that her, uh, demeanor was great. She got upset when she needed to, she just let it slide when she needed to for her character and you know, her character puts up with a lot. Uh, but then at the end, I thought that whole conversation was very important, not just for her, but also for the father, for, you know, for, um, William, because he needed that little closure, right? And he also needed to know, look, you've shat on me my whole life. I'm used to it uh-huh. and I'm okay with it, right? So before he get, before you go, I just want you to know that this was hard. You know, you, uh-huh. it wasn't easy, but mm-hmm. I still love you. And that's, that's good. I mean, that's, that's honest closure, right? Totally. And I, I think the other difference between the two is how much lower maintenance uh, Susan is like, she doesn't need much. She's a pretty content person. And, and good point. I could see myself, you know, having a kid that was high maintenance and I'm just not a high maintenance human being. Like I, 
I don't want a lot. Um, I don't need a lot of, you know, of attention or whatever. Uh, and that can be a conflict. I have friends who can be, you know, high maintenance and I do what I can, uh, and I'm there for them and whatever, but I could see that being his character is tonally very similar to Susan as well. Like, um, she's her own person. Like she clearly didn't have to be a doctor. She could have just, uh, you know, gone into business yeah. if anything at all she could probably just be a trust fund baby or maybe not i mean you get the sense from bill that he's not really interested in raising kids who are uh, just getting by and i don't know yeah so i can imagine just personality wise him clicking a little bit more with susan because of that aspect as well like she's she's easy to be around she's just very easy to be around mm, and yeah. there's something to be said for that too for sure yeah but I love the way they establish all the characters like at the beginning. I mean, we have that opening sequence, right, with midnight, you know, in the, the house, this mansion we're looking at. And Bill wakes up to this whisper of a yes and goes back to bed. We wake. The next scene is the uh, the party construction. It's where we meet Allison. Um, and the first thing the, the florist is asking her, what 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 kind of flowers are we thinking? Lots of freesia. Daddy loves freesia. <laughs> it's not long before we kind of realize that daddy probably doesn't care about freesia or much of anything. He's not a very material person in that way. But then right after we meet her, we meet Bill and it's good morning, Mr. Parrish. Is the president coming to your party? And I love this. They, they establish these things really quickly because it's a very simple, efficient way to establish a relationship. We've done two things. We've learned here's a woman. She's like working really hard uh, for her daddy uh, who loves flowers and uh, all this construction is happening all around her. And she's, you know, not necessarily flustered, but she's a busy bee. And then we immediately meet Bill, who's Mr. Parrish. And we're hearing that he's having a party and not just that, but we're he's having a party that someone expects the president of the United States to be there. And so in like 90 seconds, two minutes, like we can see a number of things, their relationship for one, um, he has a daughter and his daughter loves him. And, and without having to say good morning, daughter, like we learned that's his daughter. Like that's a, that's exposition that in most movies becomes a strained thing, but because how do you establish their relationship unless someone yells out, Hey daughter, but here we established she's referencing her father. Her father's having a party. This guy's having a party. Two and two makes four. Um, and so it just becomes this very simple arithmetic that the audience gets to do in a very fluid way. But we can also see that his house is opulent, right? We spent the opening scene seeing him wake up in this place. So it isn't like a party rental. Uh, this is his place. And so he's rich. And that indication about the president coming to his party, right? So he's obviously very important. And even though he's obscenely wealthy, and significant, right? The president, he also is not a self-indulgent diva. And what, because what's his response to, to the idea of the president? And he's like, the president has better things to do to come to my party. Like I'm not that special. And so he's, he's like a grounded human being. And we see also how he reacts to his daughter, Allison versus how he reacts to his daughter, Susan. Like these are two very different energies. One daughter is very pleasing and looking for approval and the other is collected and it's kind of just a buddy. It's his friend um, that he deeply cares about. And this dynamic carries throughout the rest of the entire film, three hours. Uh, and it's just an incredibly efficient opening 90 seconds. Like we learn and feel so much so quickly tonally and with these characters who they are in relationship to each other like that's just a very brilliant 
and oddly efficient, you know, establishment, because in theory, you have three hours, you can, you can build all this later, but they, they decide to like, we're going to very quickly establish who everybody is and their, and their relationship dynamics. Uh, and that's just freaking beautiful. Well said. Right from there, they move into kind of the thesis moment, the, the scene that we played, you know, that clip, uh, the soundbite, the helicopter ride, where William is setting the thesis of the meaning of a good life. What makes a life worth living? And of course, it's love. Um, he has all this stuff. He's, you know, he's riding in a helicopter to work. <laughs> That's not, you know, some of the wealthy people we know don't do that. And like, this is just another level of, of wealth. And yet his view of, of the meaning of life isn't money. Like he's talking about something else. Um, and of course, we even hear that later, later on in the film where what's, what's uh, Bill ask? Uh, I'm going to look it up here because I wrote it down. Oh, that he gives Bill gives uh, Joe Black, like, I don't know, 50, 100 bucks. I don't know, a lot of cash, basically. And he's like, you know about money, don't you? And Joe Black's response is it can't buy happiness. <laughs> and it's <laughs> right in line with. Yeah. And of course, Bill's response is, yeah, he's more annoyed with death, but he's also kind of agreeing because that's literally what he's telling his daughter. Uh, it's like, man, happiness is something else. A good life is something else. And we're establishing this thesis. And then right after that, like bang, 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 she goes to the cafe before work and she meets the charming man. And that's just kind of what I labeled him, uh, the charming man. And we hear him first, which is interesting because we hear the charming man first in the same way that Bill hears death first before meeting him. So we're kind of tonally meeting both of these guys before we actually see them. And of course, uh, Susan overhears the charming man. He's this caring, enthusiastic guy having this conversation with Honey, whoever his Honey is. He really cares about him. And he's, uh, he's, he's telling his Honey to, to not give up and stay in school and <laughs> do all the things. And then we meet him and he's just so alive and he's challenging. Even, even uh, uh, Susan's being challenged by this guy. Like, and he's like, you agree? really? Why? <laughs> he doesn't just let her agree and get off the hook. And she's just kind of flustered a little bit. And she's like, I, I was just being agreeable. <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, and he's like, well, you know, I don't know. I, this is just what I think. This is my view about the world and uh, what it, what a good life means. And why wouldn't I give up something for, to be with the, the woman I love? Uh, she's taking care of me. I want to take care of her. Um, and it's just so good. And I love watching her watch him. There's this brief little moment right where he's getting her to agree to just have a cup of coffee with me and he reaches behind the counter he is so outgoing right he's going after what he wants and he reaches out and he's kind of signaling to the the server like hey i got it hey, don't worry about it <laughs> i'm just taking over your job don't 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 sweat it uh and he's pouring the coffee and i love this moment that we watch her watch him and it's brief, but she's just kind of drinking them in. And it's just this beautiful little uh, connection because up until that moment, you don't really know how she feels. She feels assaulted almost. And uh, he's like, is it okay that I call you, you know, uh, beautiful? And she's like, uh, yeah, of course, you know. And we don't really know how she feels yet until this moment where we watch her watching him. And it's just this gorgeous little brief, you know, glimpse. And he's so, he's perfect. He's He's very different. He creates a great contrast to Joe Black, and it's so important, right? He's he's certain, he's confident, he's inquisitive, he's fast, and he's also sensitive. Um, and this whole scene, this whole encounter is one of the most important scenes in the entire film because we need to remember 
who he really is. And also that we want him to come back. We're upset that he's dead and we are excited to come back. And because at the end of the day, we can't really like Joe Black more than him. We need to hope that he returns or at least at the least be okay with the exchange. Like, oh, yeah, this is good, too. Like, I really enjoyed Joe and, and, and Susan together, but this is something to look forward to also. And there's something beautiful here that I remember now. I remember what it meant for them to be together. And, and you're getting OK with that in the same exact way that she's coming to terms with that as well. And the way they, they shot that whole sequence where he gets nailed by that van and bounces off another car in the process. That whole setup, I was just blown away by because the audience is watching this guy cross traffic and you're kind of on, on, on the edge of your seat watching this unfold. And after you've seen it once, you kind of forget how it happens because um, you're just kind of waiting for this van to smack him. And it almost would feel cheap if you did it that way. But instead... You have him jump out of the way of one car, like, oof, I dodged that bullet, only to jump in the path of another car. And that feels so much more honest and earned um, instead of just having a, a car blindside him. Because uh, why wouldn't a car honk? Like, hey, get out of the way. I'm about, you're about to get hit. And that setup and payoff is just perfect. It feels earned. It feels honest. And I, I completely buy into that whole scenario how did that pardon the pun here but how did that hit you <laughs> <laughs> i remember the first time i saw it i said whoa oh my god it was like out loud out loud whoa uh comes out of absolutely nowhere you there's you have no idea that that's coming and those are the best there's nothing about the film that makes you think there would be anything violent like in a trailer or something like that or in the poster or anything. Yeah. So, so when it happened, the first time I saw it, I, I was completely surprised. And even this time I was watching very closely and I, and I was like blown away about how they did it. It was just so practical and real, like real life that could happen that, yeah, it was amazing. Uh, and I do wonder, you know, so death says he needed a body, but it wasn't really that guy's body. That guy's body was mangled. <laughs> completely um the the charming man's body was completely mangled so i don't know what it meant because it wasn't like he was already put in the ground it was that mm. night it was the same night so i'm not i don't know maybe he's just because the guy's dead he can use a version of his body i don't i don't know i don't know but that was that was strange to me yeah um but yeah that whole sequence is incredible i mean that whole sequence of them staring at each other they're not staring at each other, like walking away, like super famous scene. You know, there are some scenes that, you know, like between a couple, like two people that are, that are timeless. And I think that that's one of them. And it says yeah. so much about how, how we operate, you know, uh, like uh, sometimes out of fear, sometimes out of uncertainty, sometimes out of like, you know, yeah, fear. Uh, yeah. and that's what that was. That was a little bit of fear on both of their parts. And that ended up being, you know, well, not inevitably the downfall, but in, in the interim, the downfall, right. Between them getting together. So, you know, this is amazing. Yeah. So true. And he, he flies off the screen and I thought this was an interesting subtle thing, but uh, he flies off the screen, screen, right. And later on, when we finally meet Joe, he enters back from the left. And so it's almost like a continuous kind of movement from him exiting one thing and entering another 
And I thought that was just a simple, mm. like, but also fundamental cinematography rule. Like you have a character exit one side, you have them enter the other side and that creates a visual continuity. Mm. Uh, and I just, you know what I, a, you know what I, th that's interesting. You know what else I, I noticed about the scene? Cause I watched it again is when he's looking back at her, mm. you see medics in the background. Oh, wow. Which, which is, I mean, you know, if you're watching it, you're just like, Oh, these are just medics that happen to be in the scene, you know, like what, whatever. But you know, when she's looking at him, she's seeing this, the busy street. She's seeing people crossing, cars crossing and other people walking and buildings. When we look at her, all we see, we don't see a bunch of cars. I mean, we do see some cars, but we see medics standing outside their ambulance talking to each other, which is interesting. It's like it a is. little foreshadowing, you know, yeah, thing. That is interesting. Know? I didn't even notice that. Good catch, man. Yeah. Well, I, it was the second time I watched it that I noticed. <laughs> I didn't notice before. Yeah. You started looking around. Yeah. Same thing happened to me. We'll talk about the candles in a, in a little bit, but I finally kind of noticed, oh, they're doing something here. But when he does come back, like we've been talking about, there's such a heavy contrast in performance and personality between uh, the charming man and Joe Black. And of course, Joe Black is curious um, he's direct, he's childlike, right? He's the polar in a lot of ways, the polar opposite. Now that's the one similarity that he, they both have is a certain amount of directness because the guy, the charming guy was very direct too. He's like, you know, you could be my wife. What? No, really? Hey, I'm just saying for the sake of argument, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like there was that, that directness, almost everything else was just completely different, especially the physicality. And it's interesting because every new experience is entertaining and fun to, to Joe Black. Like, oh, like I'm, I'm acting like people now. Um, I had this great interaction earlier today. <laughs> like it's, it's just kind of silly, fun thing, right? He meets the kitchen staff. I thoroughly enjoyed meeting you all and walks around with a spoon of peanut butter. And like you see Susan's reaction, like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> like that's here just give me the spoon don't put it in your pocket you weirdo it's it's so entertaining for him and for us of course well the interesting thing about that too is that as i love how they don't double dip the spoon when the guy is giving him bites he gives him a new spoon and then he wants a second bite he gets him another spoon a clean spoon exactly how it should have That's, been yep. especially in a proper place like that yeah know? one does not double dip <laughs> yes exactly and they, they strip a lot of the music away once Joe arrives, which is interesting because whenever the charming guy gets killed, there's this swell of music like it's beautiful and sweeping you away. And it's the, it's tying into the helicopter ride of like we're being swept away and lightning is striking. And and then but when Joe enters, like there is no music like that dinner party and uh, his arrival. It's very it's starkly different right now. Everything is pregnant pauses. And the lack of score makes every piece of dialogue stand out. And we start to dial in and watch the physical reactions while we're waiting for responses. And we just, be everything becomes a little bit more heightened until the music finally starts coming back. And I don't even remember what part of the film we start to, to hear the music again, but I bet you can analyze this film just from the, the standpoint of the score itself what you know themes and melodies are being played and when i bet there's a lot in there uh to to discover and joe black himself is interesting right we slowly discover his powers like you were saying we don't necessarily always see his supernatural capabilities but we discover what his powers are and and his place in the universe right he handles his duties in the back of his mind he's on holiday right now and yet he's trying to describe to bill i'm still working like it's just 
I, I just do it in the back of my head. Um, and he doesn't cause suffering. So he's, he's death, but he's not God. Um, and in that sense, like he doesn't make things come to pass. He doesn't cause suffering, right? He tells the Jamaican woman, you know, I have nothing to do with these things. Right. But at the same time, he can ease suffering. That's part of his, his powers. And maybe, you know, something that he does out of some sense of kindness, um, to some degree. And his inquisitive curiosity is also just a really great device for, for pushing the story around, for exposition, right? There's this uh, moment that he has with Bill where he's like, at this juncture, why do you still care about all this business stuff? Like, what does it matter? Uh, and Bill gets, he just kind of explodes at him. He's like, a man wants to leave something behind the way he built it. And he's talking about like a legacy. And that's so good because this establishes a want, a desire for Bill. Um, and so now he has a goal for our character, uh, which is to leave his legacy intact, which is threatened by Drew. So we have this great source of conflict uh, for the rest of the film as he's trying to accomplish something and, and he has an adversary with Drew. And of course, it only gets resolved at the very end of the film. And so Joe becomes this really good source of creating uh, the stakes of the film and and these questions that that are being asked, right? The first question that we ask that gets answered pretty quick, which is, will death let William live? And of course, no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. And, and that, I think that's really well done because he, he asked him this thing, like, how about giving me a break? And death is like an exception. There's one to every rule, not this. And it's great, right? This line happens right after Bill saves Joe from stepping into the into traffic mm -hmm. like he he grabs his arm and pulls him back from traffic because uh, Joe doesn't know what the hell he's doing unlike you know the charming man who just was blindsided by love and he accidentally got hit by a car Joe doesn't know what the hell is going on in this world uh, and he's about to get killed before he even has a chance to live and Bill saves him and then asks him like hey how about giving me a break and he's like nope there are no exceptions and it's great. It's a, it's a subtle callback to the death of the charming man, of course. Um, but it's also foreshadowing that death will actually make an exception. And the exception is going to be the charming man who died in traffic. And so it's, it's, it's nice. He's creating a lot of stakes in the film. And so we answer that question pretty quick. Death is not going to let William live. Um, but there's a lot of stakes. There's can William cope with dying, right? Has he lived a good life? And so he's kind of asking himself this question. Um, there's a question of, will his family be okay? And will Andrew or Drew get, get away with destroying Bill's company? Can death, and some of the biggest uh, questions, the stakes, can death learn to be human? Can he be compassionate and selfless? Uh, in a nutshell, can death learn what it means to love? Because if, if love is what happiness and, and having a good life is all about, can death experience what it means to be a human through the act of love and being loved? And in that way, the, the, the answer, the question and answer to that question is given through Susan. Will death let Susan stay or will he take Susan with him? And that is ultimately going to answer whether or not death can, can learn to love or not. And, and there's this great little moment. Why did you ask me, Joe? Bill is having this conversation with, with uh, mm. him at the end, right? Where death comes into the, to his office as Bill is struggling with all kinds of things. Um, and he's saying, I'm going to take Susan with me. And he's like, why are you, why are you asking me this? Like, you can do whatever you want. Why do you care? 
Uh, and there's this beautifully lit moment where Joe walks to the door and there's this light, this blasting light that's casting this shadow uh, onto the door. And if you watch the other scenes at the end of the film in that in that location, none of the other scenes are lit that way. Like we have Joe coming and going. We also have uh, Drew who comes in later. They don't like the scene that way. And it's an odd lighting choice. But that big light casting this soft shadow right onto the door is our first real look at death. I think it's him. And maybe it's our only good look at death at the door. And it's symbolic, of course, of the shadow of death himself. Right? Death is at the door. And we're getting a, a perfect look uh, as well as death. Death is... For him, he's looking into the mirror. That's his version of looking into the mirror, is looking into the shadow. And it's and it's perfect because he's asking death, uh, like, what you don't need my approval, but you know, you know in your heart that this is wrong and that she doesn't know who you truly are. Um, and of course, this is echoed from the Jamaican woman. That relationship pays a lot of dividends in terms of uh giving Joe a soundboard that with someone who doesn't have anything at stake. She's going to die. One, she knows it. She's asking for it. She has nothing to win or lose by being honest with death, uh, as opposed to Bill. Bill could still be playing the game. Um, and so, to some degree, his, his ideas and thoughts are suspect. But here in this moment, he's being asked a real question. And he's having a moment of reflection, of course, that goes right into, you know who I am, right? That moment with Susan. And he's, he's saying, she's asking, you're not him, are you? Who are you? You know who I am. And we just watch her for ages, eons. And she's saying, you're, you're, and she just can't bring herself to say it. You're Joe. And I think maybe there's a lot of ways you can read this scene. Um, I think it's a test. It, it could be read as a test because he felt a little disappointed and let down because she loves him, but she maybe doesn't really know who she is. Uh, but at the same time, maybe she, she does. Maybe she really does. And yet she doesn't want to admit it and therefore doesn't really blatantly say who she, who he really is. And so maybe that she failed his test that maybe she can't really love him the way he wants her to love him because for her to admit that he's death also means that she's okay with going where he's going. I don't know. So there's a lot, I don't, I don't know how you interpreted that whole little sequence. Yeah. Feel free. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, well, that sequence in particular was, I mean, it was just beautiful the way that he, he didn't say anything. She didn't say anything, but they knew that something like she knew something she knew, yeah. you know, that he had to leave. She didn't ask him too much about it, but she, you know, she knew he wasn't that same guy and that there was something else. We don't know what that was. We're just assuming that, you know, she has some kind of realization in that moment, right? I mean, the problem that I have with this whole thing is that he didn't tell her and they had sex. And like, then she finds out that he's not the guy and it's just okay. Like that bothers me. It bothered me the first time I saw it and I wasn't sure I was going to feel it, feel about it again, but it bothered me again a lot because it didn't have to happen. Mm. It didn't have to have that in there. And I mean, you know, like she could fall in love with him and they can, they could kiss and stuff. And I don't know, whatever. It just didn't have to happen. Right. 
And then, you know, at the end in the scene that you're talking about where she like has this realization, there's no, she's not like, maybe the point that I understand the point you're making because she's not like mad at him. Mm -hmm. Right. She's not mad at him, which normally, I mean, I guess, you know, you should be because she really does care for him, you know? And then they, after she has that realization and that look that she gives him, they do kiss again and they, they say goodbye. So she does have feelings for them, for him, you know, but she didn't know who he was at the time, you know, in the scenes before in the, in the love scene before. So I have a big problem with that. And, um, it kind of like rubs the whole film for me, to be honest. And I know that that's a small thing and that doesn't, it's not something that most people would have a problem with necessarily, but, but I do for sure. Mm. Because I am impacted. I'm less impacted by him leaving at the end because of it. If, you know, I understand that he is before he becomes, before he becomes more human, right. As he's learning, he's learning, he becomes more selfless, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so he's very selfish at the beginning. Right. And it's a whole buildup and every, every time something happens and he learns something new, um, he becomes a little bit more knowledgeable, a little bit more other, other, you know, eccentric. Right. But they, they can show that in so many different ways, right? They show that with the Jamaican woman, when he gives her relief, finally, when he shows her where she's going to be going the first time he meets her. And then later on, he gives her relief by letting her die or taking her or however you want to say it. Anyway. Yeah. That scene, though, I thought was so beautifully shot. It's super close up. There's very shallow depth field. You see every single wrinkle. They hang on uh, the characters so much. I I forget her name. Yeah. Claire, uh, Claire and Brad's characters so much, uh, uh, Joe and Susan and let, they just let it breathe. And so many times I think that maybe as a filmmaker, you're thinking, okay, I want to cut out all the fluff and I want to make, you know, just, you know, I just want to make this my movie, you know, and I want to make it as succinct as possible. And that's a great, that's a great goal. Right. But when you have such personal moments like this, hanging on them and letting them be letting, mm-hmm. letting the life like, and like come through the screen and, and the, the viewer like live it with them, um, in real time is pretty awesome. And it, so it was, it was just an incredible scene for me. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. The, the, I love the way they lit that. I mean, it's, the side lighting, right? It's soft. It's mm-hmm. big. I love their big eye lights that they have in there. Most films go for much smaller eye lights. And we were talking about that and I love it. I love a big eye light. I think it just adds yeah. a lot of life. Can you and explain what that is? Yeah. So what an eye light about? is that it's the, it's the highlight. It's the white part of a reflection in someone's eye. And normally you can do this a number of ways. It could either, either literally be like a, a small light that sometimes they'll just shine into Uh, an actor's eye line so that you can see it bounce into the camera and this creates a speck in in someone's eyes Uh, and you can use this in a thousand different ways you can you can use it to create like an emotional look in someone's eye depending on where you place it how big it is the quality of the reflection or you can make it look you know like someone's goo goo gaga over someone right lovey-dovey eyes uh, much like in this film and so there's number of ways to do it you can also just use like a big white bounce board and it's just a white reflection in someone's eyes and yeah and so it's a thousand different ways and in in this case like they have these really big 
eyelids at the bottom of their eye. It's this big rounded one, especially in hers. Hers is almost taking up her like half her eye at least. And I feel yeah. like they put this big bounce board right behind him so that we could see this big, it's almost like she's looking at the tunnel of light. Like if you look really closely into her eyes in that scene, she had, he, he's backlit in her eye. It's this big circle and it's like the tunnel of light and it's like death is sitting in the tunnel of light and you can see his silhouette in that, in that eye light. Again, you have to look really closely into it, but I think if you think mm -hmm. about that in relation to the conversation they're having, she really does know who he is and that he's death. Yeah. Um, he's either revealing herself to him or she's just truly able to see who he is because of their connection together. And it's beautiful. It's, it's reflected in, in her, and her, yeah, her eyelight. Um, and his eyelight is a bit smaller than hers, but still relatively large. Um, and it's just beautiful. I, I, I don't know. I, I like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, no, that, that stuff isn't, that's amazing. Like I never, I, before you told me that I had never even considered that. And now I see it everywhere. Oh yeah. Like that. I, I feel like I, I feel like that's the, that is one of those differences between a, a really unnoticed well shot film and mm. a poorly shot film you know yeah. like it's it's not something that you know that you say oh i like their eye light i've <laughs> never seen that i've never seen it and now i can't unsee it <laughs> i see it in everyone every like all of these shots like because in were, this movie in particular obviously because it's very focused on that but like you just see it in everything but even on tv you know i notice when it's not there yeah. now it's really interesting and if you use it intentionally, you can create like anger or deadness in someone's eye, Yeah, which we're working on a project that that's how I want to use it. And uh, we were in the garage whenever I was like talking about it and trying to show you. Uh, could you see it whenever I was like moving my hand to try to cut out some of the eye light versus in mm -hmm. it? Um, like it's funny cause you can create it anywhere. Like, you know, if you, and I do this a lot, whenever I'm just hanging out with people, I'm kind of looking at their eye light and where it's coming from the quality of light as they're sitting somewhere in a restaurant, like, Oh, there's this yellow cast on their back shoulder. Oh, where's that coming from? Oh, it's this lamp. And so that's just, I don't know, part of loving cinematography, you know, yeah. I'll never really be a full, like. I'm never going to be a movie cinematographer. I do it in, you know, for projects on my own and I get hired out to do it, but I'll never be a Emmanuel Lubezki or Roger Deakins. Like I know that and I'm okay with that to some degree. Uh, but at the same time, I still love it. I'm mm -hmm. obsessed with it. And I, I want to know what I'm, what I want and how to communicate with if I have a DP on set or if I just want to create it for myself. Like I, yeah. So it's fun. I enjoy it. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's awesome. It's so much. Yeah. But there's another thing that they do in this film, cinematography-wise, that I wouldn't say I fully understand it. I'm just going to throw it out and let people chew on it. And I don't know, maybe Todd will have uh, his own idea. But at the very end, so I noticed something watching it the second time through. Uh, and I was like, I don't know what they're doing here. I'm just going to make a note of it. And at the very end, Bill gives his speech at the party. And it didn't pop out to me, but I just made a note of it. And it was one of those things that every once in a while, my notes will speak more than I catch while watching the film. I won't piece it together until I'm looking at my notes. And Bill makes a, a wish for, for everyone, right? There's one candle sitting on top of his cake. Um, and he's like, I'm going to break tradition, right? And I'm going to tell you what I'm, what I'm wishing for. My one candle wish is that you would have a life as lucky as mine that you, you could wake up one morning and say, I couldn't want anything more. 
And I thought that was beautiful because if you return back to the dinner table at the you know beginning of the film and even throughout the film, they're having these dinners with his family. And if you look at it, Bill at the beginning has one candle. And, and every time we're looking at him, he has one candle in his frame. Everyone around the table has kind of this one candle. And then after Joe arrives, he suddenly has two candles. They keep framing him with two candles in his frame. And hmm. to me, it's interesting because at the beginning, his one candle is at the left. It's at the top left of the frame. And then when he gets these two candles, now they're on the right. And it's like a before and after, like he's nearing the end of his life. And everyone else has one candle except for Bill and Drew, actually. Um, and I don't know that, I, like I said, I don't know that I know exactly what they're trying to communicate here. But to me, it seems like Bill has gotten a second candle. He got his lucky life that he wishes for everyone and is maybe getting a second one with his brief life extension. Or maybe it's an indication of the life he's moving on to. He's getting a second life with death. And maybe it continues on into the afterlife. I don't know. But Drew also is interesting because... Maybe him getting a second candle is uh, an indication that he's living a double life, right? He's on a secret mission and he's being deceptive. And we don't know what that is until the very end of the film. And so it's just very simple, subtle cinematography thing that they're doing that I think is interesting. I don't necessarily know what they're trying to communicate, but it's it's fun. <laughs> it's fun to think about yeah. and, and just to, That's interesting. to play with. Yeah. I love that kind of stuff where you don't really notice it until someone says, hey, did you notice this candle thing? Like, no, I did not notice that candle thing. Uh, why would I? Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, why would I notice that? But yeah, it's cool. So cool. The score, the score is so good. It carries these moments at times. It just sweeps you away. That sound bite that we played. I mean, that's a good scene without it. I think that's a really, really good scene without it. But with it, man, it really does just, I drift away with the characters. And I, I do feel swept away. Uh, but other times, there's there's times where it also kind of removes the edge of a potentially scary scene. Because there's a section where Bill challenges death. Because death is saying, I really like your daughter kind of thing. And he's yelling at him. He becomes unhinged. Like, we don't see Bill lose it except for this scene. And he's just screaming at him. And death warns him, right? And the thing is, when death gives you a warning, that, that's a little bit different from any other human being. Because death is, like you said, he never has a reason to, to yell or, or get mad. But And so if, if he's going to do something, he's just going to do it. And it's not going to come with, you know, hail and brimstone. It's just going to be done because he can and he wants to. And so in that, we don't know if death is serious or not or how far he's going to take his warning. But the music lightens the tone and lets us know that there's no imminent danger everything's going to be fine uh they're just having a spat yeah anyway awesome that's that's all i got did you like the musics <laughs> I, I i loved it i thought it was amazing like there are there are, i mean there's a handful of films where i can say man the music really made this and actually there's a lot of films where i can say that but this is this one is just it's so it's weird because it's not iconic i can't tell you what it was can't tell you what it sounded like. I mean, other than that, it's symphonic. No. I can't tell you, you know, a specific. I know that there was a motif that was rolling through it, huge. but I don't remember it. Uh, I, it what? Yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. I, I yeah, kind of. And I can't tell I can't. you what it was, yeah. but it was just it was important and vital and like uh, like so perfect for that. You know, it needed to be this this elegant, you know, this elegant symphony 
right? Because life is a symphony and it needed to be beautiful because Claire is beautiful and it needed, or Susan is beautiful and it needed to be, and so is Brad Pitt and it needed to be um, fluid because that's what his character was and, and what Joe was and, you know, all of these things. And, and it absolutely was. And if they would have gone for, I don't know, anything else, it would have completely changed the feel, which I know is the point of a score, but it was just, it was just beautiful and really heightened the, the elegance of, of all these moments, you know, and it's because it's so easy to feel detached from all of these characters because he's a quadzillionaire or whatever. Yeah. So it's very easy to say, oh, this guy, you know, I wish you all have a life as blessed as me. Fuck you, man. You got <laughs> a zillion dollars. Yeah. No, no, you, you don't care. You know, whatever. Um, but that's the point, right? Yeah. He's not talking about his money. Yeah. And I think that that's the strength of, of this filmmaking is that we know what he means. Yeah. He doesn't mean we wish that you all, I wish you all are millionaires. He's like, I wish you all have what I had, which is time and, and love. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause he got all that. He, you know, he talked about his wife who had passed he, and how much he loved her. He talked about, you know, his daughters and, and we could see it in his, in his lover. And I, he, when he gave Allison her hug at the end is just beautiful. He like stayed with her. He stayed with her for a second you know, he hugs her before he goes over to Susan, he hugs her and he kisses her and he looks at her and he says, thank you. And then he, and then he leaves, right? It's not just a hug to get to my favorite. Uh, he spends a, a minute. It's a quick minute because we already had our come mm -hmm. to Jesus moment, you yeah. know, pardon the pun, um, uh, earlier. Yeah. yeah. I also like his name. His name is William Parrish, which is kind of a play on words for he will perish. Yeah. Cause Parish is a double entendre. That's simple. That's subtle. It's one of those little writer things where you do, you know, you're like, you know what? I'm going to make it very clear. I'm going to be. He's going to die. <laughs> this guy's going to die. I love it. But That's great. With, with that, there's also the kind of a horror version of this that if, if what, ha where's his body, right? And so did it, his body just kind of vanishes. But imagine another version where his body's on the other side of that bridge. And this dude just walked back from murdering the dad. <laughs> and, yeah. and she's, you know, going to discover like, oh, my God, he, you killed my dad. You know, it just becomes this yeah. uh, litigious thing where they spend the next six months litigating this guy. Like, what did you do? <laughs> he, he's like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love that. But no, I, yeah. Beautiful film. Really enjoyed it. I'm trying to think if there was any other little offbeat random things. Meh. No, no it's fun. There's not a lot of three-hour dramas. There's very few. Yeah. I did a using that tool that I, I sent you yesterday. I was like, I'm just curious now how many three-hour dramas there are. Um, so I did a minimum runtime of 175 minutes, which is like five minutes shy of three hours. Uh, and I was like, how many are there? You have Titanic, which is a drama but it also has a heavy action element to it and so okay you have the deer hunter which again fair enough is a drama but still has a very heavy uh action element to it you have meet joe black magnolia which we've done and a star is born which uh is the 1954 version not the recent one um you have dogville which i still have not seen and then a bunch of other uh, a handful of others that i haven't seen so really there's six in my mind, there's six three-hour dramas, which is kind of crazy. I don't know 
if I'm surprised there aren't more or if I'm surprised that there are that many, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised there aren't more, to be honest. Yeah, I feel like that there's something in there, right? Like, uh, right? I guess, yeah. I guess Lawrence of Arabia doesn't qualify. It's it's a bit of an epic. Or maybe it's not three hours. I don't know. It feels definitely feels like three hours. Yeah. Anyway, hmm. so what are you going to recommend this week? I bet I can guess. You can't guess. You can't guess. But now you're going to now you have to try. Legends of the Fall. <laughs> no. <laughs> that would have been no. a good one. Okay. It has nothing to do with this. Okay. Oh, nice. absolutely. Damn it. <laughs> I wanted, you know, it's so easy to like to recommend another Brad Pitt film, and I could. Um, I bet I know what you're going to recommend, but and I could, but I'm just kind of into this thing that my wife and I are watching that every um, we're like way behind on, but we're catching up on, and I don't even know why I like it. It's so weird why I like it, but I'm going to recommend that great British baking show. Holy crap! Uh, yeah, it's like way left of center. I know, I know. Please tell me why. I'm curious. Why? Because for some reason it's addictive and I don't even like really, I don't like cooking shows and I don't like shows like this normally. All the stuff in the US that they do like this, I don't like them at all. But for some reason, I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe because they're all British and they make things that I would never, like there's a lot of stuff in there that I would never see you know, mm. and I would never taste. Um, and they look, they just, everything looks so good. And I'm, I'm watching it with my wife. And so whenever I get a show together with her, for some reason, it just feels better to watch, you know, cause she doesn't watch a whole lot. Yeah. So I know it's really weird, but that's just what I'm into right now. So I'm going to recommend that because I didn't care about it before. And then I watched a couple episodes and I thought, <laughs> wow, I kind of want to keep watching this. So I heard someone describe yeah. it as it's a show where everyone is genuinely rooting for everyone else. Like, yeah, that's a great, that is great. That is a really <laughs> good way to put it because I, we just finished a season and I forget which one because we're going all over the place. We're not um, watching first to the end. We're like all over the place. We just finished the season and this one guy, and I don't, I'm not going to tell you what, you know, who he, who he was, uh, cause I don't want to ruin it for you, but this one guy, I just couldn't stand. I was, I was like this guy, he's like shitting on himself the entire time. I don't know. He's not like, he just needs to go. And he won the whole thing. And by the time the last, the last show happened and they were doing the last showstopper, I looked at my wife and I said, Oh my God, I want him to win so bad. I just want him to win so bad. He completely won me over. Um, I just had pegged him completely wrong. Um, and I had ne like, ne that's never happened to me before in a reality. <laughs> One, I don't watch reality TV right. at all ever, but this, this in particular is just a, I don't know. It was, it's just really interesting. The dynamic in there, you know, I'm so conflicted. Like I've never seen it. Uh, uh, but now I'm like, should I watch it? But then I'm you know, afraid that if I like it, I'm going to just binge through it all. And I'm like, I don't. Well, here's, here's the thing you, I mean, you might binge a little bit, but you're not going to miss anything. You mm. know, it's not like there's a plot, you yeah. know, you can sit down and watch one season, which is completely disconnected from all of the others and they're 10 episodes long, you know? So yeah. Mm. Or you could watch one episode and really like it, but not go back and watch anything else. And you're still not missing anything really. Um, except for that season, that was really interesting. Uh, and off air, maybe I'll tell you what season it is if you nice. really want to watch, yeah, yeah. but I won't tell you who, and then okay. you can watch that season. <laughs> anyway, That's awesome. Hey, what about you? What do you think I'm, I, I want to recommend? You're going to be wrong because I didn't have a clear cut choice on this one. 
Well, then, no, I'm not going to guess because I know I'm, I'm going to be wrong and I don't want to screw anything up. So go. You want to be an idiot on air? Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to be an idiot. I Yeah, I'm not as good as you. <laughs> Whatever. Stuff. Um, I know this one's, this was hard. I had three that I, or four that I was thinking about, but I, I think I'm going to go, I, and I know this one's going to be obvious, you know, once I, once I say it out loud, but uh, I, I just recently watched it yesterday and I, I just, I love it. And uh, so obviously I'm going to recommend straight out of Compton. Um, it's, it's so I mean, good. Yeah, duh. <laughs> yeah, obviously. It's perfect segue. <laughs> right and so no it's it's so good i mean i am pretty over biopics like uh they just feel so done and uh typical there's only a handful in the last several years that i'm like that was magical like lion is really really fantastic and straight out of compton is so good especially biopics about musicians they are so rinse repeat oh yeah but this one was so different because it doesn't tell you like their entire life story. They, they put you right in the middle of it and it's two and a half hours of well-deserved uh, storytelling. And they really take you on a journey. They, they rip your heart out. Uh, they, they let you see what these people care about. And I just, I am so in love with the F Gary Gray's storytelling in that film. And I could not recommend it enough. Uh, and I plan to to watch it again. There's a director's cut that I'm going to watch uh, maybe today, but hopefully sometime this week, because I'm just curious, what did he think was missing? Like, this was such a good movie. I would, I'm, you know, just intensely curious about what it, what his other version looks like. And so I, I plan to do that. So, yeah, check out Straight out of Compton cool. and you'll find trailers to both of those uh, great British baking show and uh, <laughs> straight out of Compton, which go hand in hand. I mean, that's the perfect you one, know, two combo. <laughs> you got to be interesting in these recos, bro. You know, you can't just, you know, recommend just anything, right? right? We can recommend anything. So why not? Why not? Leave me so alone. Leave me alone. Stay tuned. Uh, next week, we're going to cover an old classic sports film called Rudy, Rudy Rudiger. So, so check that out. We'll, we'll take a look at that and see what's going on with, with it. Um, and if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to subscribe, drop us a review on iTunes. Um, leave us a note if you want us to cover a movie or uh, a topic or just say hi and you know, that you, you, you're digging the show. Uh, that stuff is always deeply appreciated. And if you want to comment on this episode, uh, feel free to do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash meet Joe Black. And our quote of the day that we're going to leave you with is from Benjamin Franklin. Well done. Many people die at 25 and aren't buried until they're 75. Oh God. Amazing. It took me, I I had to read it twice to get it, to be honest. I was like, what? Wait. Oh, I get it. I get it. You just kind of forget to stop living sometimes. And I think we all do it. I mean, I was having a conversation with one of our listeners, uh, Alex, and I was just talking about, yeah, it, I get complacent. Like I'm on the one hand, I am chasing my dreams, but at the other hand, I have found myself getting complacent at times. And this year has been kind of uh, me trying to kick against the grain as much as possible and just like break these shackles that I've kind of put on myself because I've been a full-time filmmaker for nine years now. And that was a hard choice at the time to, to decide to not be like in the corporate world anymore. It was safe. It was comfortable. I had upward mobility. I could be living a very nice life right now. And I chose otherwise. I chose to live uh, like tough, you know, times where I'm, I'm eating lean and unintentionally and just just trying to make my dreams happen. And, and within that, I've gotten comfortable. 
and I'm like, I, it's time to, to take more risks again. Like I've gotten comfortable with this risk that I took and I don't want to keep doing that. And so, uh, it's time to just say, you know what, screw it. I'm going to sink or swim one more time. And, and if, if I, if I sink, whatever, I'll, I'll get re resuscitated and I'll swim again. Like we're just going to keep doing it until I figured it out, man. I don't know. See what happens. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see what adventure that is and to participate hopefully. Yeah. Yes, that is yeah. the, the intention. <laughs> okay, good, good. Uh, yeah, it, that's that's amazing. Got to keep living, man. Got to keep pushing. Got to keep doing stuff. Wake up every morning. The sun's going to rise. You're going to rise with it. So, you know, you're going to let it pass you by or do something. I, I think about one thing I think about all the time, uh, which is really weird. Well, maybe it's not that weird, but it just pops into my head every now and then, which is a very small thing, but it reminds me to do something. Hmm. when I don't want to do something, which is for all of time, that moment was waiting to happen for all of time. That moment waited until right then to happen and you missed it, hmm. but you're always going to miss it. You know, you're always, you know, you can't be in a moment, but you can be in a minute. You can be in an hour, um, but you just have to, ex you have to exist and recognize that. But it's that whole, it, it's just that, like the whole, the whole of eternity has led to this moment right now. And that's, uh, it's really makes me feel really small, uh, but also very powerful because I can do something with that. You know, I can, I can hug my daughter. Um, it doesn't have to be something big. I don't have to save the world, but at the same time I can, I can use it for something that's going to make someone else happy or, you know, make myself happier or, yeah. you know, make something. I don't know. So, yeah, this is a great quote. Oh, Benjamin Franklin. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's so many things, so many quotes, so many inventions. That guy is incredible. Ah, <laughs> oh, uh, great, great film, man. I loved yeah. it and I had a great time. This is awesome. Like Wes said, please review us, share us with your friends, all that good stuff. Every little bit helps. And let us know what you'd like us to, to review. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this, so please leave them in the comments as well. Uh, until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies.